for joining us, the Wealthy Retailer Podcast with your host, Dan Holman. Every episode, Dan dives into the retail headlines that matter to you, the independent retailer, covering topics ranging from retailer inventory, technology, marketing, retailers' questions, and more. The Wealthy Retailer Podcast is brought to you by Canadian Retail Solutions. Learn more at retailbycrs.com. And now, here's Dan Holman. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Wealthy Retailer Podcast for the week of May 13th, middle of May. Lots of good stuff on the podcast today. Pulled some great headlines. And from those headlines, we'll probably spin them into a little strategy, tactic, maybe a tip or two. And of course, as always, uh, a retailer question. And we've got Rob uh, Lollisher from Road 55 going to feed us these headlines and chat with us this morning. How are you, Dan? You know what? I, I'm on the right side of the grass. It's a sunny day. You know, awesome. I can't play golf yeah. here in Alberta, so I might as well, you know, do this. <laughs> you can, your wife told you, you can play golf with me, honey, but you yeah. just can't play golf with the fellas uh, right. on, on a Tuesday. They're working and I did, I, I threw a little curveball at Marlene on Saturday morning early. I said to her, hey, I've been thinking, um, how do you feel about a little trial separation? Uh, just, you know, maybe three weeks and see how it goes. And I got just the craziest look. Floating the balloon here. <laughs> and I said, you know, if if one of us lives alone, then we can have some cohorts to play golf. And I said, I'm going to get Mike to do the same thing. And then, uh, you know, at least we'll be able to play golf together. And it didn't go over. So you're currently well. looking for a place to rent is what, what you're telling me. <laughs> Uh, well, I'm feeling great today, Dan. The algorithm tells me I should only be feeling good, but yeah. I'm going with my gut on this one, and I, I feel great. And what the hell's Rob talking about? Well, we got one story this week that talks about algorithms versus humans. Who's better at predicting fashion trends? I think that's pretty interesting. We'll also have a story about five ways retailers thrive, uh, keys not only to survival, but definitely about adapting and then, of course, thriving. And uh, we talk lots about this community connection, a story about how operators can really leverage that uh, to really get involved with their community. And speaking of community, you've got a great one filled with retailers, Dan, and they fire you questions. Uh, one this week, just you know, a bit about talking about some of the challenges of hiring and, and uh, uh, pay rates and different things like that. And I'm, I'm sure at one time or another, Every retailer out there listening right now has has had something in that uh, in that category. So looking forward to, to hearing your thoughts there. Yeah. The, the first uh, story comes from yourvalley.net. Uh, where is your valley, you might ask? Well, it <laughs> appears to be in Litchfield Park uh, in the old AZ. Arizona, uh, yeah. Arizona, yeah. <laughs> just you know, talking about five ways small businesses can thrive into the future. And, and Dan, I'll let you take it, but it hits one category that uh, um, I don't see come come up too often, at, and that's with cybersecurity. So uh, what, what were your thoughts when this, when this story came up? Yeah, Rob, this is really one of those stories that, you know, the headline is, is attractive, have, you know, five ways small businesses can thrive into the future. And so as I read through the article, I took a spin on all five of theirs and said, hey, let's talk about, you know, what can a retailer do? Never mind any other small business, but really, how does this, um, you know, apply to our retail audience? And so I'm going to share all five of them. Um, and the one that you touched on, number one, we need to boost cybersecurity with smarter technology. And in today's business climate, 
businesses really do need reliable technology partners to help boost digital transformation initiatives. And certainly cybersecurity has become more and more relevant in today's world. Um, you know, we're gathering more and more of our consumer data online. So we need to make sure that we are protected. And, and of course, you know me, I'm like collaboration is the right answer. And collaborating with the right partner means that any size retailer can better manage hardware, software, and services to maximize customer and employee experience. Not just maximize their experience, but also protect them. For independent retailers surviving and thriving dispute or, or despite uh, daunting challenges requires agility, plus the know-how to leverage available technology tools. And so protecting our data from cybersecurity is paramount in today's world, especially Rob, because you know we hold so much client data right now, yeah. perhaps more than we ever have. And so using good military grade encryption, having a firewall in your business, you know, using secure connections with your customers to capture them, uh, to capture their, their sale, their credit card information and so on, critically important in today's yep. world. And probably add to that, I'll, I'll just say backups, you know, the, the data storage. And, mm. and I'm sure you see this quite often. The, the second you go offline for an issue yeah. like that, holy heck, you're, you're in a pile of trouble. Uh, Rob, I'll tell you once a week, maybe that's, maybe it's more, that's less than once a week, but definitely, you know, a couple of months, we get that phone call um, of a distraught retailer saying, you know, my data's gone. And, you know, someone either has my data or my system has crashed yeah. and I have nothing. And so absolutely having a good one, two, three backup is, is important, not just important. It's, it's critical. You have to have it. It's a gotta have. And that one, two, three means one backup on site, one backup on a network attached device and one backup somewhere up in the cloud. And CRS does look after that for a lot of our retailers where we're providing that that backup service, that one, two, three, three copies of backup data that we can, you know, hit them back back to live in a matter of minutes um, with data, but also, you know, securing that data and ensuring that you have, you know, the appropriate firewall in place in we, your business. We got to phone these guys in AZ and to say, uh, we, we got item number six for your list. And, yeah. and boy, that was a good one. Yeah. Okay. Onwards. Yeah. Number two, ensure employees have the necessary tools. And I thought to myself, man, oh man, what a great question to ask myself and my team. What are you missing? What don't you have? Is it training? Is it technology? Is it equipment? Is it changing rooms? You know, dressing room or dress rooms, change rooms, style rooms. This came up on a, on a retailer call yesterday where a retailer saying, I don't have enough change rooms to serve my audience. Well, that's a tool. And as we talk about our selling system and, and moving a customer through that total uh, um, solution purchase, yep. change rooms and dressing rooms are, are hugely important in that success model. And that's a tool that we might be missing. And so number two really is ensuring that everyone has the necessary tools to be successful. I breezed over it really quickly, but training is a tool. And having more than one voice in your organization is impactful. 
saying a lot of the same things from different voices, different tones, different meter, different time is important in your business. And that that's a tool that's often overlooked. So number two was ensure your employees have necessary tools. Number three, meet customer demand for omni-channel ordering. And through this, this disruptive period, we'll call it, retailers have had the opportunity to get more creative and innovative in terms of how they are reaching their customers and adopting e-commerce and having an e-commerce e uh, presence is no longer a nice to have. It's no longer an added benefit to the store. It's a gotta have. It is a true channel of revenue. And going forward, retailers need to continue to perfect that omni-channel experience, unifying, connecting their their digital space, Rob, their physical and digital digital operation yep. by creating this integrated, cohesive customer experience, no matter how or where the customer reaches out. Let's get digital, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Number four, diversify, diversify revenue streams and shore up supply chains. So what do I mean by diversify? Well, number one, or how do we diversify? Number one, we look for gaps in our assortment. We look at gaps in our competition and we look at gaps in our community. We need to understand where we're missing something and diversify, add that next assortment, the next category, the next classification into your store that's missing in your store or in your community. More importantly than that gap analysis is our ability to strengthen our relationship with our A, I'm using my quotes, my A vendors, yeah. Yeah. A vendors, those ones that define who we are, right? And continue to search for new vendors. Diversifying or diversification means that we're always on the hunt. And, you know, a good tip as you as you sort of re-enter the trade show market in the next couple of months, lots of in-person trade shows are back in. Um, don't fill your calendar with appointments. Spend your first half a day or more circling the trade show, making yeah. good notes. Put them in your phone. I want to check this vendor out, this vendor, this vendor. I love that product. Introduce yourself to new people and make sure that you have really good relationships, two-way relationships when i think of the gaps dan i think of that old baseball player quote the when they ask what's your success to getting on base and hitting he's i just hit them where they ain't hit them where they ain't <laughs> right this is and where we've got to look 10 feet out or, or over right. the fence right and and uh just what a great thought is you as you look for those those gaps which quickly become opportunities right yeah and if you're an apparel store that's not carrying perhaps a small selection of footwear footwear might be a gap for you or personal accessories or home accessories might be a good addition home accessories in an apparel store might be you know aromatherapy candles and and um products that enhance her life yeah. Um, and so really look for those opportunities to diversify or add in something that's missing in your store. Okay, number five was a big one for me. Number five, leverage social media to grow your community. And we've really hit social media and the need to connect with, with our audience hard in the last 15 months. And many retailers have done an amazing job. But leveraging your social media audience is more than posting frequency, quick response to inquiries, um, and, and um, you know, the capture of transactional revenue. Leveraging social media to grow your community 
is about taking ownership of the audience away from Zuckerberg Alphabet and ByteDance, right? Facebook, Google, and TikTok. Remember that they own those audiences. You don't. You're a guest on their platform and you need to have a way to capture that audience, to own that audience. You need to leverage your celebrity. I will, your celebrity, your online, your digital prowess or your social media prowess to actually own her or him. And you do that by, by capturing that audience. And you have to ask yourself today, who owns my audience? Where is my success coming from and who owns that audience? And use your social media simply as a gateway to ownership. And ownership is defined as having direct communication with your customer. Yeah. Facebook, Google, TikTok, Reels, da 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 are all indirect methods of communicating with your customer. What's a good example of direct communication? Great reminder of when you talk about the ownership, I, I think of another word of the progression of the relationship. Yeah. And so if you choose to engage with them just on TikTok or on Facebook, that's great. You know, you're creating that 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 engagement with them and that, but but think of how you progress that relationship down the line and by down the line to obviously the ultimate in, in the store, shopping with me right. on my website, sign up for my newsletter you know, that, that trying to find ways that we can continue to connect with them so that when Mr. Zuckerberg changes his mind a year from now and, and all of a sudden your 10,000 followers don't mean nothing unless right. you pay $2,000 a month to act. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm being I know. total hyperbole here, but, but it really reinforces the, if, if you choose to, to lead that relationship in those places where you are at the mercy of, of these platforms, then you kind of live and die by by what they choose to do. But if you if you keep being mindful about that progression of you know it's the classic funnel and it's hundred at the top, fifty in the middle, you know ten at the bottom, right. whatever that looks like. But keep moving them down the way, and and uh, you're going to be in a much stronger position. And then we loop back to number one, and then you make sure like hell that you you got them you locked protect down them. ten days from Sunday. <laughs> right, and I think that you know part of that direct communication with a social media audience is, you know, their, their profile capture. It is capturing their email, having the ability to send them an email um, or a phone call, that invitation to get them to walk into your store and now become part of your family, right? Remember that, that all social media audiences aren't your family. That's the most important thing. And it doesn't matter, like you say, you know, if you've got 10,000 followers today, you don't really own them. They're following you, right? Somebody else owns them and at the click of a button, they could be gone. Yeah. So you've got to bring them into your fold. So you've got to leverage your social media prowess to transition or progress as, as you've said, you know, that relationship to be one-to-one. -one. Right on. Well, lots of great stuff out of that story and a nice little segue to our next story here, Dan, uh, from retaildive.com. Uh, well, we're just these good old algorithms, you know, right. versus versus the human component. In this particular story, it talks about, you know, who's better at predicting fashion trends. And uh, yeah, what what jumped out at you here? What what were your thoughts? Well, for me, you know, I started off right away by fashion trend isn't nearly as important, um, you know, as as activity trend. 
And so these days, data is plentiful, useful, and fast. It's, it's right at our fingertips. And there are some experts in our industry that warn that old-fashioned merchants are undervalued at this crucial time. And merchants, whether young or old, will always be the art in the buying process or cycle. And when it comes to predictive analytics or algorithms, artificial intelligence requires data. And while data may give us insight, just insight into a fashion trend, what we really wanna know or what we really need is data on the buying trend, data on the decision, the yes, the vote. Yes, I'm buying this. And doesn't fashion trend in our world come from watching what he or she is buying and then copying her, wherever we watch them from. Fashion trend comes from you know the runway <laughs> yep. to the buyer. And what's more important than what happens on the runway is what happens in your store, physical or digital, right? We've seen a shift in fashion trend over the last, you know, certainly close to a year, you know, where she's buying less dressy fashion, but we've also seen her spending more. And that data is crucial in a retail business. And to the degree that we can lean on relevant data to bring good science to our business, the closer the goal line is, the easier it is to reach our goal line. And Rob, we've said this for a long time. Retail success comes from the marriage of art and science. The art is the merchant, their intuition, their skill, their hunch, their gut. And the science is the data. It's not human versus algorithm, right? It's human and algorithm. Any retailer that's not using both is missing significant opportunity, revenue, and more importantly, cash flow right now. I love that point. Again, we've talked about it before, but just just the view of the retailer being the artist in in that scenario and uh, uh, how you really encourage them. You want them to be that. No, do that. We're going to bring the science to to this conversation. And and to your point, when you marry those two together, it becomes a pretty, pretty powerful uh, uh, one, too. So, um, yeah, Rob, it's important that we recognize that insight, algorithm, you know, predictive analytics, artificial intelligence lays down a potential roadmap, right? It's a potential roadmap. There are a lot of things that you have to, you got to put gas in the car to get anywhere you're going, right? And this is where we marry these two things. You know, we talk about predictive analytics or merchandise intelligence in our business and say, you know, here's what your sales forecast looks like. And as well as your sales forecast, here's what the buying needs to be to support that forecast. That sales forecast is algorithmically driven, right? 80% algorithm, 20% aspiration. And I tell every one of my retailers, I need you to be aspirational. I need you to buy beyond what the, the potential is, what the predictive analytics tell us. You know, when we catch something that, that happens by gut, by instinct, by intuition, we then lay analytics back on top of it to really get success. They have to go hand in hand. This, while this article, and I think it was from Retail Dive maybe, talked about this as if it were, they were opponents. 
and that perhaps we were forgetting about you know the power of intuition yeah, in that pick, merchant pick one over the other right and there's no pick it's that hand in hand success awesome. hand in hand yeah this podcast is brought to you by canadian retail solutions we've been empowering retailers across north america for 30 years with the latest in point of sale technology best in class support merchandise intelligence with open to buy planning and much more CRS has the retail solution to help take your retail business to the next level of success. Visit retailbycrs.com to learn more. Remember, Canadian Retail Solutions exists to help make you, the independent retailer, better. Right on. Okay. Uh, the next story, Dan, comes uh, from csnews.com. Definitely, of course, has the the uh, uh, convenience store flavor to it. But yep. uh, a headline that that just is applicable across the board, just how small operators can leverage their community connection in their in their business and uh what would you like in this story dan well you're right this came from convenience stores but all the points in this are are applicable to any retail business besides i said (laughs) you know as i'm going through my notes i'm like shouldn't all stores be convenient isn't that shouldn't that be our aspirational goal to be convenient let's take a page out of a convenience store inconvenience (laughs) store rob's inconvenient emporium yeah (laughs) <laughs> where we make buying very difficult. <laughs> We're closed. We might be open tomorrow. I don't know. I'm thinking about it. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I look at this and I say, so how can small operators leverage their community connection? Again, we've talked about community over competition, the power of collaboration many, 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 many times. And it's worthy of repeating over and over again. Being an active community member when you're a small business Um, is like being a politician, an old school politician, where you attend events, you hand out, you know, food, drinks, coupons, gift certificates, or other stuff from your store. And that opens the door for people to put a face to a name. There's a chance there are going to be people who will or will know you or won't know you, but you eventually gain this attraction, right? That, that people see you within your community and your store begins building brand equity and creates this personality and culture around your brand that big businesses cannot do, that Walmarts of the world can't do. Their success comes from their, the way they advertise, the way they market, the way they you know, hammer price home. They don't try to make connections. And this is where small businesses can win over those customers. And so in this article, there were three strategies from three different retail leaders on how to leverage the community connection. So number one strategy was create an emotional connection. This came from John Matthews, who's the president uh, of of a retail consulting firm called uh, Gray Cat enterprises. And he says, although most consumers are aware of big chains because of their continual advertising, more often than not, it's difficult for customers to create an emotional connection to big businesses. Indie retailers can capitalize on this by creating an emotional connection through community involvement that positions the retailer as one of them, as part of the community. Once a customer connects with a merchant as someone that has their back, 
it's very difficult for the big chain to break that bond. And I was in a meeting yesterday with a client late yesterday afternoon. And I said, you know, you're moving into a new neighborhood. You're moving into a new city. You've got to become part of the fabric of this community. Right. And, and Leanne uh, Mohagan from Simone and Ivy is going to tell you it's an uphill battle. You know, she spent the first year trying to connect with the community. And through that whole time, you know, the community kept knocking on her door asking. Right. And she had to become part of this community, live within, you know, share in the in the social opportunity that community brings to really own that audience. And she's, she's doing a great job yeah. and has taken them away from bigger box stores. Well, a good reminder too, it's not a one and done <laughs> uh, no. exercise. It's a slow absorption. And, and so anyone out there, uh, I went to a chamber lunch. I didn't get nothing of it. That, that was that. It's right. like, well, no surprise there. Like this, this is continual. You want right. to be in business a long time? I always say, well, let's act like it. Right. Let's, let's do the things that, that are going to ensure that down the road. That are going to show that you're part of the community. Yeah. When I moved here in 2007, didn't know a soul. All I knew was the owner that I was coming to work with. That was it, the owner of the store. And so, you know, I had to practice this be where your customer is. Become part of the community. Don't just advertise, but become part of the community. And yeah, maybe it was going to chamber events or joining Rotary or being connected to you know, social causes. I went where my audience was and, and presented myself as, Hey, my name's Dan and I'm with Cotswood Interiors. I mean, this is what I, this is how I broke into the community. I connected myself with the brand and the community and it's, it's what we need to do. Right on. Okay. Number two on this list came from Anthony Perrine. He's the president of a single store. It's called Lou's Perrine's Luperine's Gas and Groceries, and they've been in business for more than 60 years. And his tip or his strategy says form strategic partnerships. While larger chains and businesses base their corporate social responsibility on donating money, smaller retailers' success comes from being strategic in the partnerships they choose to be part of. For example, Luperine's uh, recently held a program where if a customer bought a backpack, the store donated a backpack to the local Boys and Girls Club. And local Boys and Girls Club focused predominantly on lower-income children. And Perrine and his team hand-delivered the backpacks, spent time with the, chit, with the kids, creating this personal connection, right? Here we are repeating ourselves, creating this personal connection with everyone involved. And he goes on to say, our number one priority and our number one brand recognition is community involvement. So it's important to let everyone know that we're here and we're here for the community, right? We've got a leg up to connect with the community by not giving the house away, but by getting our face out there and becoming a business that the local community can rely on. Love it. Yeah. So good. Okay. The last one, the third tip was communicate your efforts. And this came from Roy Strasberger. Roy Strasberger is the CEO of Strauss Global. They're a contract operations provider. So they provide operational services to retailers for companies that, that um, don't have the expertise or the infrastructure or doesn't desire to look after some of those operations. So they contract them out. So Roy knows of where he speaks. 
and indie retailers have to be able to communicate their efforts in order to get this um, halo effect of positive of positively serving their community in doing so retailers build customer loyalty vicariously through people who are associated with the projects they support so here's an example that uh, that Roy shared if you support a local little league baseball team you're not only helping the team get the supplies it needs but you're also throwing your name out there in front of the parents and grandparents and anybody else who's out there watching those kids play and it creates customer loyalty so they choose your store or they, they it creates this loyalty that allows them to choose your store over another because of what you're doing. Again, I'm gonna repeat myself. The more active you are, the more activity your store receives. And in all three of these examples, we're talking about becoming connected in the community, right? Let's, let's go back, create an emotional connection, form strategic partnerships in the community and communicate what you're doing. And you've heard me say this before, my audience are the soccer moms and dads, the dance mom and dads, the baseball mom and dads. They're the very core of our retail communities. We need to support them and they need to support us. Great, great little, those are three awesome points. And, and like you say, came out of convenience stores, but, uh, Truly can, it just, yeah. that works across the board. I don't care what business you're in, uh, to be honest. Okay, speaking of community, Dan, we talked about your retailer community and uh, you know, you you put it out there, you know, pretty transparent of, look, send me any question you've got and, and I'm out to help. And uh, here's another great one. What, what'd you get this week? So this came from Jess in South Burlington, Vermont. And um, Jess is with a ski shop in Vermont, uh, been working together for a while now. And she says, hey, Dan, as you know, I've been struggling to hire staff and soft goods for the past three months, specifically a manager. Aside from a low level of applicants, there's been this shift in people wanting to work in retail, especially since the pandemic began. So when I get people who are enthusiastic about working in the shop and qualified, I lose them when I can only offer minimum wage for pay or her minimum wage. It's different in every state and every province, but it is truly, it's where we land them, right? And so she, she ends this question with, they can work at Dunkin' Donuts for 14 bucks an hour, right? I, I would love your feedback and could use any and all insight into how to navigate this challenge, best Jess. And so I, I right away answered Jess and said, Jess, this is such a good question. And it's one that many, many retailers are battling with right now. And Rob, at some point, okay, I'm going to say this as gently as I can. At some gently. point, we, we've got to yank our head out of our ass and recognize we get what we pay for. If our belief is that our people, our most valuable asset, are only worth minimum wage, we're going to get what we pay for. <laughs> we're going to get minimum output, minimum performance. I mean, this is minimum wage, minimum skill, minimum availability, minimum output, minimum performance. And so we've got to realign our thinking when it comes to our people. You know, we spend so much money on our buildings, on our marketing, on our inventory. And then we spend the least on the people that sell our product, that service our product, that look after our customers. And I learned this a long time ago. 
you know, in, in the furniture world where I grew up, the sales staff were always commissioned salespeople. It was, they were always in some kind of pay for performance environment. And the delivery staff, right, the guy that can do the most amount of damage was paid the least. So we had these, you know, 60, 80, 100, $150,000 earners out there selling. And then we paid delivery drivers 12 bucks an hour to deliver 50 and $60,000 worth of furniture. The something seemed broken in that relationship, yeah, yeah. right? The guy that has the ability to do the most damage to my store, my reputation, my revenue gets paid the least. This is backwards thinking. And so I said to Jess, you know, Jess, my suggestion is to create a remuneration plan that is foundationally based on performance. And I am the biggest believer in offering the greater of this hourly rate or percentage commission, right? And others like to use an hourly rate plus commission. But my challenge with that is that it leads to overpaying staff. And in this example, we need to have a threshold for minimum sales to pay commission. Either way, we look at remuneration. We wanna do our best to keep their wages in this 10. So, so I'm gonna throw a number out here. You're selling payroll. Let's talk about retailers. Your selling payroll should be between 10 and 12% of your revenue. Now, it's not hard to do this math. If my revenue is 100 grand, I should be paying my staff 10 to 12%, not inclusive of benefits and you know, healthcare and 401 and RSP and all that other bullshit that goes with, with you know, employing people, but just that salesperson, what are we paying them? It should land 12, 10 to 12%. Is that just them, Dan? I'll just ask the, I'm the owner operator. Yep. Do, I, do I count myself as a staffer? If you're selling. That, within that 10 no. to 12%? We really want to break payroll up into three kind of chunks, Okay. right? We have our administrative wage, which covers off people that are your non-selling members. Gotcha. Right. And okay. they make up the selling, non-selling members of your team, you know, support staff, administrative staff. Together, they're going to make up 3 to 5% of your revenue. Your selling staff are going to make up 10 to 12% of your revenue. And then there's the all important, what do the owners and managers get, right? And that may make up another 3 to 5, depending on how profitable you are. Remember, you know, owners tend to get paid last, right? We get paid from the leftover. So we've really got to do a good job on all of the above expenses to be able to get paid, right? So, so let's just talk about what could we do what could we create for our selling team that is successful? And looking at combining hourly and the incentivized wage is probably a good place to start. And you can go back and look at if you are, you should be, if you are tracking sales per salesperson. If you know what Dan sold in the last month, you know what you paid me in the last month, what does it equate to, right? We can use some, some data right? Some artificial intelligence even to predict what I'm going to pay that salesperson for the next 12 months. And is it in line with the 10 or 12%? And, you know, if somebody's working, you know, 40 hours a week and they're making 11 something an hour, they probably, in order to be at break even 
for you and them, they need to sell about four grand a month, right? And if they sold five, yeah. you'd get a 10% bump in and pay them 10% commission. You'd make an extra $1,000 in revenue and it would cost you a hundred bucks. Are they going to be happier now that they're making not 1175, but they're making 15 bucks an hour. And see, we hire these people on hourly rates and you know, you get someone that's excited and enthusiastic about joining your team. And then you pop them with the bubble by saying, I can only pay you minimum wage. I would rather say, listen, our, our wage is 1150 an hour or 10% commission, whichever is greater. So really you're earning potential. The sky is the limit. And I went on to say to Jess, I know that commission is this slippery slope for many stores that don't want to see team members competing on the floor, but rather collaborating with each other to assist customers. And in order for a commission model to be successful, it takes a strong leader holding team members accountable to the store's core values. And this is super important to pay people beyond what they can earn, you know, working in a coffee shop. And I'm going to say this again, you get what you pay for. If you're going to pay minimum wage, you can expect minimum output. But if you turn the table and say, I'm going to pay you this or 10% commission, whichever's greater, right? I'm not going to pay you less than what you should, you know, what minimum is, but I'm going to give you the opportunity to earn a lot more based on your performance. Do you think people might have a different outlook? Do you see that working with you? And you touched on it, that, that sales selling or or sales team rather environment where can commission be for the team as a whole, uh, broken up per hour or, or. Yeah. And so we certainly, we certainly see clients that use commission pools or bonus pools where we're paying people an override. And it is really, you know, when we try to tiptoe in the water of pay for performance and, you know, Ron Wanick, the owner of Ashley Furniture Industries, um, was was someone that that shared this with me long, long time ago. You know, you get what you pay for. And people that live in a pay for pay for performance world often perform better than those that get a higher hourly rate. Right. And it can be applied anywhere. And we tried this back in the day with administrative staff. We put every single department in our business on some kind of pay for performance. For the admin staff in the office, we gave them the budget of expense. This is what our expenses have been for the last 12 months. Every dollar you save, I'm going to give you back 50 cents. Do you think part of that challenge with retailers is everything you're describing requires a level of, of transparency with your team into, uh, you probably ask a bunch of them, what were the sales today? Uh, I don't know. Right. <laughs> right? So you got you to gotta be quite open about those volumes and to make it all really work. Rob, how do you know when you win a game? When I hear that buzzer and the... And the, the <laughs> and the what? You know, and we have more goals than the other... <laughs> You look at the scoreboard. Yeah, yeah, totally. Right? Totally. It's your measurement of whether you won or lost the game. This bullshit about, well, did you give it your best effort? Then that's okay. No, it's not okay. We're here to win, not here to lose. Right? And what does losing mean? I want you to compete with yourself. Right? Why do we keep scoring golf? Right? It's not really to beat our opponent, although that's fun. 
you know, to have those games. We compete with ourselves. Yesterday, I shot a five. Today, I shot a four. I'm better today. That's performance. That's measured. And so the answer to your question is, yes, we have to be a bit transparent. And why wouldn't we be transparent? Why would we hide our goals from the people that score them? Seems broken, totally. right? Why are retailers struggling with this? Why are retailers not sharing sales with their selling team members? Why is it a secret? Yeah. Right? Are they afraid? Are they afraid yeah. a re- a, 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 an employee is going to say, oh, my God, we sold too much today. You're going to now drive a better car. Well, bullshit. Yeah. That's not really how it works. Well, and I'm sure, too, you'll see over time when you do have that disconnect for those types of conversations, you'll quickly realize that you've got the wrong person in the wrong seat. And, and 100%, they're, they're, yes. they're not where, yeah. You right. And be. this is why I said to Jess, you know, the LMA, lead, right? You got to lead people. You got to hold them account, lead people, manage the process, and hold everyone accountable to the values. If you know what your values are, if you've got them defined, every time somebody's not exhibiting that value, you have this point of conversation, a point of correction. And if we share the same values, umbrella of values, they're, they're here for the right reason. We've talked about three kinds of staff before, right? We talked about um, the patriots. We talked about the people that are here for the money, right? We talked about people that are bored. You got to have people that are here for the money and people that are patriots. If you've got people that are bored in your store, kick their ass out the store right now. Doesn't matter if they got the same last name as you or not. You need patriots and people that are looking to be famous. Yeah. Rich Go and sell famous. donuts. Go sell donuts. Go to Dunkin' yeah. Donuts. They're paying there 14 bucks an hour. Right on. Well, great question from Jess, and uh, you know, big thanks for that, Dan. How how do folks get a hold of you for other questions? Yeah, it, it, listen, any question, no thing, nothing's off limits. Just send an email to Dan at thewealthyretailer.com, and we'll answer. I'll answer the question personally, and I'll get your permission to maybe share it on the podcast. Um, we get a ton of questions that that could all be on the podcast, and every once in a while, one comes like Jess. You know, sent me this email yesterday, and uh, yeah, yesterday. And I'm like, oh, my God, can I share this on the podcast? I, I've come up against this exact question so many times, so many times, especially right now. And we talked about this a little while ago, Rob. People have migrated away from retail. People have migrated away from the downtown core. Right? If your store is in a downtown core and you don't have the same, the people are moving away, you're going to be challenged. And maybe you've got to pay people differently and give them an opportunity to earn more as the store grows, right? As I go, you go. As we go, right? It's not go as I say, it's go as I go. Let's grow the business together, and we both feel reward. So send an email to dan at thewealthyretailer.com, and I promise you will get a very quick response. And if I don't know the answer, I know where to get it. Awesome. Right on. Well, thanks for that, Dan. And uh, folks, if you haven't yet, head to retailbycrs.com. Sign up for the newsletter. We've got the links to the stories we chatted about uh, in this this week's podcast. Also, a few more stories, and there's always a few more interesting uh, little treasures. The first one being, uh, speaking of, uh, online returns finding their second life in, in what really is a real-life treasure hunt. Uh, I'm sure that might be interesting. And uh, we've a bit before, we, we've chatted about how Shopify's the network. The network of sellers are really 
you know, they're, they're mounting that surge to take on uh, Amazon and this story touches there. And I really like this one. Just talking about Henry's the Canada's greatest camera store. And if you're not Henry, maybe you take issue with that statement, but uh, you'll, you'll want to go check that out. And it just really speaks to the things that they've done in there. It's in a their century history. old business and they've yeah. got to be doing Unreal. some things right, especially in today's world, Rob. Of and when they started, everyone's like, Henry, what the, what the hell's a camera, man? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, a lot of good stories. And as Rob said, please head over to retailbysierras.com. Catch that, subscribe to that newsletter. It comes out every Friday morning. There's all the stories we talk about, the ones we didn't, a few tips and tricks, and a copy of the retailer question. There's always some good stuff in there. And do your friend a favor, you know, share this in your community. Send send it, forward it to somebody that you think, hey, maybe this could be helpful for you. Good stuff. Yeah. Thanks for listening, everyone. Hope you have a fabulous week.